Wonderful. Um, it was just last week that I had mentioned that our sister LaRonda um, was at the Southeastern Conference. We went to the conference and um, we saw her there. And I just shared with you that she sent her greetings and we, we done talked her up because she's here visiting with us. <laughs> so praise God. Good to see you, sis. Um, just wanted to say again, if this is your first time visiting ARC, um, I just wanted to welcome you again. Would you please stand at this time just so we can acknowledge you if this is your very first time visiting ARC. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. 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 It's a blessing to have you this morning. Um, our hope is that you would have an encounter with God through his living word. Through his living word. At this time, ARC, could we stand and read God's word together? We're going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. Again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. And God's word reads, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel. I'm sorry. If anyone cleanses himself, from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must, be, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to the senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Please be seated. And let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask for much grace to be poured out this morning. I'm just a mailman delivering the mail. I'm just a messenger delivering your truth. I ask God that you would guard my mouth from saying anything that would be contrary to your word. And I pray, Father, that you would give me grace to speak your truth with boldness, with compassion, with humility, with love with graciousness, and help me to speak it, Father, with a full dependence upon you. 
Lord, I pray for the hearers, this congregation that I love so much. I pray, Father, that you would give them ears to hear and soft hearts to receive. May they receive your word as it says in the word with gladness. Cause our hearts to rejoice in the truth that our sins have been washed away in Christ. That you have cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. You have thrown our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. For those who have trusted in Christ, oh, what a joy. Oh, what a privilege. Oh, what great news. Oh, Father, for those who don't know you, God, would you draw them by the power of your spirit to repent of their sins and to cast themselves upon Jesus Christ as their only hope? Would you allow them to see that he is God, that he died for sinners, that he rose from the grave, and that he is now seated at your right hand? Make an intercession for your people. Father, please allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in your sight now as I preach your word. I pray this in Jesus' matchless, magnificent name. Amen. 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 If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles who will get a Bible to you. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll make sure that you get one. Well, last week, we saw in God's Word that there is a right and a wrong way to handle God's Word. We saw in chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, That there is, as Paul pointed out, approved workers for the truth. He pointed out that there are unapproved workers against the truth. And we saw in verse 19, God's firm foundation, which is the church. And in verse 19, it says that the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. In the last seven verses, verses 20 through 26, we're going to see that God calls his people to be clean vessels, vessels that are set apart by his grace. Vessels that are set apart to minister and proclaim his word. Vessels that are set apart to be used as instruments for his glory. And verses 20 through 21, we're going to see how honorable vessels are made. In verse 20, we're going to see how honorable vessels are maintained. And in verses 23 through 26, we're going to see how honorable vessels minister. Again, 
verse 20 and 21, how honorable vessels are made. Verse 22, how honorable vessels are maintained. And verse 23 through 26, how honorable vessels minister. Look with me at verse 20, how honorable vessels are made. Paul starts out with an illustration here. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. And this verse 20, where it says great house, it's talking about the household of God. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it reads, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. In verse 20, the vessels of gold and silver are believers, but wood and clay are unbelievers. Some for honorable use, believers, some for dishonorable, unbelievers. The church is universal. When I, when I say the church is universal, I mean the church consists of believers here in Southeast D.C., Northeast D.C., where Pastor Jeremy is and the people who went out with him. The church consists of believers in Texas, in New Jersey, Africa, Asia, the Middle East, South America, the church is all over the world. The household of God is everywhere. But there's also a local church where people come and gather in a local assembly to hear the word of God preached, to hear the word of God proclaimed. And as people gather in these churches... These churches are made up of genuine believers and also unbelievers. You have many churches that have people that profess to be believers, but they're not really trusting in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have some who are trusting in their own works. You have some who are going to church because they want to feel like a good person. They feel like it's the right thing to do. But you have many who have not truly put their trust and hope in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. So you have many churches that have true genuine believers and people who profess to be believers who really aren't. In Matthew 13, 24 through 30, it says that Jesus presented a parable to people saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and born again, bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, 
Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Least in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barns. So you see the weeds are gathered to be bundled up and burned. Those are unbelievers who will be cast into hell, which is very sobering. But then he says, gather the wheat into my barn. These are believers that will spend the eternity with Christ. So when it points to vessels of gold and silver, which are believers in wood and clay, it's very similar in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, where you see wheat and weeds. True believers and people who profess to be believers but not, are not truly his. This is why it is vital for us to preach the gospel this is why it is vital for us to continue every single Sunday to preach Christ and him crucified. Because we must trust that the gospel will save, that the gospel will transform, and the gospel will change. And we must preach this message knowing that there may be some coming who are professing to be believers, but may not really be his. But if they're under the word of God, hearing the word preached, those people who are professing believers, but not necessarily converted, are put in a position to hear the truth and be transformed. This is why we need to make sure that when we're discipling people, that even our discipleship is full of the gospel. We can't get to a point where we say, oh, we, we know you heard this because you're professing Christ. There's many who are professing Jesus who still don't have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. So I encourage you, small group leaders and others who are discipling people, make sure that your discipleship is gospel-centered, that you're consistently pointing people to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and pointing out how he who knew no sin, Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. Our discipleship, our teaching, our preaching must be filled with the cross. Amen? Amen. He says in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, this is talking about cleansing yourself from the things that are false. Cleansing yourself from the things that are evil. As we heard last week, you had um, 
Hamanaeus and Philetus who had swerved from the truth and they were preaching false doctrine. And, and the Bible says that they were leading people astray. The Bible says that they were upsetting the faith of some. Their, their message was spreading like gangrene and affecting the body of Christ. And here it is. Here it is. We see in verse 21 that it says that we must cleanse ourselves. We must cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. Here it is. You see this contrast um, in these verses. What is honorable and what is dishonorable. Last week we saw the contrast there too. False teachers and those who handle the word of God with accuracy. Those who stand on truth, stand on the gospel. So there's a contrast here as well. And he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable... What is false, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Now, this isn't something that we can do in our own might and in our own strength. If we're able to cleanse ourselves, to turn from wickedness, to turn from evil, it's because God has changed our nature and given us the power to do so by the power of his Holy Spirit. We see in Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if we're able to turn from sin, turn from things that the world is constantly promoting, when, when it says to cleanse yourself, the only reason we can do that is because God has first worked in our hearts. He has changed us, and we don't now do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. So God has done this magnificent work in our lives. And the Bible says that he has prepared good works for us to walk in beforehand. That there was good works that he had determined for us to walk in. He converts us, changed us, and then he now gives us the grace to walk in these good works that he had prepared for us to walk in beforehand. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen to this part. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, but the reason why we're able to do that is because God first acted, and it's him who works in us to be able to do so. But that does not cause us to neglect human responsibility. We still strive for holiness. We still strive for godliness. We still strive to be separate from the world. But it's ultimately God's grace that gives us the power to do so. We see in verse 22 how honorable vessels are maintained. In verse 21, we see how honorable vessels are made by God's grace alone. 
And in verse 22, we see how honorable vessels are maintained. It says in verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call out to God from a pure heart. In this verse, we see a double command. Flee and pursue. A double command. Flee and pursue. Flee evil and pursue righteousness. Recently, Hurricane Irma devastated Florida. But before Hurricane Irma arrived, all civilians were warned of the coming hurricane and instructed to evacuate. We watched thousands of individuals flee the dangers and even life-threatening consequences of the hurricane. They didn't just flee anywhere, but they fled to another location that provided safety and security for them. In a similar way, we have been warned of the devastating dangers and life-threatening consequences of sin. We are not just commanded to flee, but we are commanded to pursue, to pursue Jesus. To just flee from sin and say, no, not going to look at pornography, or no, I'm not going to get drunk, or no, whatever it is. To just say no, but to not look to Christ is just morality. It's only a matter of time before you fall, before you do sin, because there's no power to sustain you. But when we flee from sin, flee from evil, we must pursue Christ. Because in embracing Christ, there's grace to help us to continue to turn from the things that God despises, that God hates to turn from evil when we're trusting in Jesus. Christ must be the very center of why we turn. Because Christ is the only one who can continue to keep us. In Genesis 39, 9, or Genesis 39, let me tell you the story. Um, there's a story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And in this story, we see that um, the Bible says Joseph was a handsome man. And uh, Potiphar's wife started eyeing him up and looking at him. And before you know it, she started coming after him and um, started asking him to sleep with her. And Potiphar's wife pursued Joseph over and over and over again to sleep with her. But in Genesis 39.9, Joseph says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He's like, I can't, I can't give into this wickedness and sin against God. This woman was pursuing him over and over again, but he's like, no way. I'm not giving into this because I don't want to sin against God. His motive was God. That's why he didn't want to give into this sin. But the Bible says in verse 10, she spoke to Joseph day after day, 
but he would not listen to her, to lie beside her and to be with her. Verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him, she grabbed his cloak, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment, left his cloak in her hand, and fled and got out of the house. So this, this man, Joseph, a man of integrity, a man pursuing righteousness, he flees from her. So much so that part of his clothes is left in her grip. This is a, a beautiful picture of what it looks like to flee evil and pursue righteousness. Joseph is a great example of what it looks like to flee danger and to run towards safety in Jesus, run towards righteousness. Here's a question, brothers and sisters. What kind of evil is calling out to you? What kind of evil is trying to get your attention? Whatever it is, flee. Flee. But just don't flee. Pursue Christ. Pursue Jesus. Pursue the only one who satisfies Pursue the only one who can quench your thirst, who can quench your starving pains. Pursue Christ. And pursue righteousness, faith, love. We pursue righteousness to live an upright life. Zealous for good works by God's grace. We pursue faith to rest in the person, work, and character of God. We pursue love that is supernatural, sacrificial, and is spirit-empowered. We pursue peace with all, with all. We pursue peace with all because we have received peace with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible is filled with double commands similar to what we see in verse 22. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. First command, deny yourself. Second, pick up your cross and Follow me. We see in Colossians that Pastor Thabiti just got finished preaching through where it says, Set your mind's command on what is above, not on things on the earth. Command, set your mind. Command, not on the things that are on earth. Set your mind on what is above, not on the things that are on earth. And you see the same exact thing going on in verse 22. Flee and pursue. So, brothers and sisters, we must heed to the double commands in the Bible for God's glory and for our good.
for our good. In verse 23 through 26, we see how honorable vessels minister. In these four verses, we see the characteristics that define the job description of an honorable vessel fit for the master's use. Verse 23 says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for you know that they breed quarrels. This word quarrelsome can also be translated argumentative. And the word quarrels could also be translated fights. It stirs up fights. It starts fights. So he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant, stupid arguments. You know that they start fights. Now, Timothy could have been like, listen, I know the Bible pretty well. I mean, the Bible did say from a child he was acquainted with the sacred scriptures. <laughs> so he could have had these battles with words. But what, have, what would have been the motive behind that? To win an argument? If the motive isn't about leading people to Jesus, then it's empty. We don't boast in our knowledge. Timothy wasn't commissioned to boast in our, his knowledge. He was commissioned to boast in Jesus. And the verse says, have nothing to do with foolish, foolish, ignorant, ignorant controversies, stupid arguments, you know what they do. They breed quarrels. They breed fights. And then he goes on to say, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, must not be argumentative, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. So he says to avoid this foolish, ignorant talk, but you still, Timothy, need to patiently endure evil. You need to be able to teach. Timothy, you must take the time to instruct these individuals. And notice he says the Lord's servant. There's a person he's representing. There's a person who, who he's speaking on the behalf of. When an ambassador goes to another place... An ambassador is representing people. As ambassadors of Christ, we represent the Lord. And as Christians, we want to conduct ourselves in a way that points to our Heavenly Father as a gracious, kind, just God. There's a certain way that we conduct ourselves. So he says, the Lord's servant, you're representing him, Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. He must not be argumentative, but kind to everyone. This is in the context of false teachers. So he's not just saying be kind to believers, but he says kind to everyone, kind to everyone, even false teachers, that there's a certain way that we interact with them. We interact with them in a kind way. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we don't point out error, we point out error, but we point out error with a cer in a certain way. 
with a certain humility, with a certain graciousness. And as the Bible says, we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. So the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. He has to be able to teach to show people from God's word where they're in error, where they're wrong, the people who are teaching falsely, the people who may be led astray by false doctrine, the Lord's servant must be able to teach and patiently endure evil. A lot of times, as believers, when we're confronted with opposition, it's not our first inclination to be patient. We want to respond, or we want to respond rashly, or we want to make sure that we correct them. And you're going to hear this truth. But he's like, no, no, no. You have to be able to teach and patiently endure evil. There's a certain type of patience that you have to take, Timothy, when you're teaching, when you're correcting opposition, when you're correcting those who are coming against the gospel, when you're correcting those who are coming against the truth, when you're, when you're laboring to help people who have been led astray know what the true gospel is, patiently endure evil. And notice he doesn't say fall back, but he says correcting your opponents with gentleness. You are supposed to correct them, Timothy. You are supposed to point out their error. But there's a certain way that you do it. You do it with gentleness. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. The American, the New American Commentary says something that's very helpful about these verses in 24 and 25. It says this, quote, Paul prescribed both negative and positive instructions for the Lord's servant. Negatively, the Christian leader was not to be quarrelsome. Paul had earlier prescribed his requirement for the overseer or elder of a congregation in 1 Timothy 3.3. Paul outlined four positive traits needed by a servant who seeks to prevent quarrels. First, he must be kind to everyone, gentle to everyone. He needed not to be a jellyfish, but he must have a kindness in his outward manner. Second, he must be able to teach a skillful teacher. The term in this context calls for both the ability to teach and the willingness to teach. Third, he must avoid resentfulness. He must be patient when wronged. The word describes someone who can control irritability because he has learned to bear patiently the wrong of others. Fourth, he is to instruct his opponents so as to correct their error and heresy. The call for gentleness demands a tolerance in spirit without a weakening of evangelical orthodoxy without a weakening of sound truth. Timothy's opponents included both hardened antagonists, meaning a person who actively opposes or is hostile to someone, 
You see that in 1 Timothy 1.20. And those duped by their deceitful ways. And Timothy had to be prepared to deal wisely with either group. So Timothy pointed out error. And he corrected people. But he did it in a certain way. There was a certain way that he went about doing it. And this is very humbling just to even think about because it shows that he had a concern and Paul had a concern that false teachers would escape the snare of the devil, as we'll see, that they would be set free. So he was promoting a certain type of compassion even to those who are stuck in false doctrine and false teaching to handle them in such a way that shows that your motive is to really win them, to really love them, and to care for them. And the way that you do that is by pointing out truth. In verse 25, we also see, as I mentioned, the motive of the Lord's servant correcting his opponents. The NIV translates verse 25 like this. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So opponents must be gently corrected with this hope that God would grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. That there's this hope and this desire for those who are falsely teaching, teaching false things, that they would repent and trust in Jesus that they would not perish, which then puts us in a position to ask, how much are we praying for people that we would say, he's a heretic, she's a heretic? How much are we praying for them? Praying that they would turn because the truth is they're captured by the devil to do his work. We see that in verse 26. It says to share this truth with them, that God may grant them, perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. He's pointing out these people are captured by Satan to do his will. A lot of times I think we miss the spiritual aspect. And when we're receiving opposition from individuals who are speaking against the gospel, speaking against what we believe, we automatically run to, man, I got to just correct that person. That person's wrong. But we don't look at the spiritual aspect a lot of times that, man, this person is captured by Satan. Satan is, is using this individual. This individual is captured by him. As the word of God says, this, this, the, they're, they're captured by the snare of the devil. They're doing the devil's will. But we are to share the gospel, preach the gospel, preach Christ and him crucified, preach the truth, do it in gentleness. And we're to do it in such a way knowing that God can grant repentance and lead them to come to their senses so that they can escape the snare of the devil 
after being used by him to do his will. God, give us hearts like that more and more. May God give us hearts like that more and more. Listen, there are only two ways. You are either for the truth of the gospel or you are opposed to the truth of the gospel. You are either on the narrow path that leads to life or you are on the wide path that leads to destruction. There's only one way to life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible points out how how Satan has blinded the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Unbelievers are blinded. They're blinded. And the only thing that's going to remove the blinders is God's Holy Spirit converting their hearts and allowing them to see truth that Jesus is God, that he died for sinners, that he rose, and that he is Christ. As you minister to your family, your friends, co-workers, never forget That if they haven't trusted in Jesus, it's because the devil has blinded them. And may that change our approach in how we minister to them. Putting us in a position where we minister in full dependence upon God. Graciously, kind, correcting them. Pointing out error, pointing out truth, and pointing them to Christ. Oh, may God make us honorable vessels for the master's use, set apart as holy. But the only reason we could be set apart as holy is because the gospel has transformed us to do so. The same gospel that has transformed and changed us, may we have belief knowing that it will transform and change other people. And may our hope be in this truth that transforms So these verses teach how the honorable vessel is made, how the honorable vessel is maintained, and how honorable vessels minister. May God help us, by his grace, to live out what his truth says. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for your word. Lord, it's only by your grace that we are not dishonorable vessels. And if we have put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, it's only by your grace that we are honorable vessels set apart as holy, fit for the master's use. God, would you help us as a church to flee evil and to pursue righteousness, to pursue 
faith, to pursue love, to pursue peace, to pursue Christ. And may you use our lives for your namesake and for your glory, God. We want to be useful for your kingdom. We don't just want to sit back, but we want to be used for your kingdom. So would you help us? Would you help us? And would you draw many to yourself? Use ARC to draw many people to yourself. And we'll give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. We pray this in the name of your matchless son, Jesus Christ. Amen.